From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CogCast. Western Municipal Water District, also known as Western, is one of the largest public agencies in Riverside County, providing both wholesale and retail customers water, wastewater, and recycled water services. Western serves nearly 1 million people across 527 square miles in Western Riverside County. Despite water's vast impact on the region, there are many misconceptions surrounding where our water comes from, what we do with it, and why the role of water districts is paramount to the quality of life in the region. So, to help address some of these questions, joining us on the CogCast today is Craig Miller, General Manager at Western Municipal Water District. Happy to be here. Awesome. So can you just start us off and maybe share a bit about your background? So um, I have maybe an interesting background for the water world. Um, You know, I I grew up involved in sports and uh, thought I was going to be a professional athlete at some point in my life and actually was. Um, (laughs) Who knew I would end up in the public sector working on water? But uh, I played uh, three years of professional tennis Uh, Fortunately, got my civil engineering degree while I was doing that and uh, kind of fell into the engineering and the water world after my stint on the tennis tour was over. Okay, that's a very interesting background. That's not what I was expecting at all. Um, So I guess maybe perhaps a golden question, but why did you pursue a career in water? Yeah, I would also say I may have been the only engineer on the uh, tennis tour. I feel pretty confident in that statement. Um, I, I thought engineering was a good background when, you know, as a kid and I was thinking, well, what, what do you do for a career? My parents were like, hey, be an engineer. It was either an engineer or a dentist. So <laughs> I, I went with, with engineer and, you know, I, I really thought I was going to be building buildings and things mm-hmm. when I graduated. But like most kids, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into when mm-hmm. you start your education. And um, when I finished playing tennis, um, I had a friend who was in kind of the land development world mm-hmm. and um, ended up getting a job with that company. And in that role, I was doing storm drain and uh, runoff and water and sewer designs for uh, development projects. And I really enjoyed it. Hmm. And um, I went from there. um, Actually, another friend was talking to me about water supply. And he said, have you ever thought about getting into water supply and really focusing on water. And at first I thought, I don't really want to be in the public sector for some reason or another. And uh, I ended up uh, taking a job with them and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I loved the fact that at the end of every day I could go home and say, you know, I don't, I don't know if I accomplished a lot, but I know I did help my community Mm -hmm. and I I can feel proud of, of what I'm doing with my career because I'm, I'm helping other people. So kind of jumping into the core discussion for today, as um, the general manager for Western Municipal Water District, also known as WMWD, can you maybe just provide a basic overview of the water district and perhaps like the top three initiatives? Sure. So 
you know, the water industry is really confusing for the public. Hmm. You know, there's all sorts of different agencies and there's overlap and different roles and responsibilities. And so I know even when I just talk to my friends, they're like, now, who are you and what do you guys do and which part, what do you play? And I heard we import water from other parts of the state. And is that what you do? And mm. it's just really, really confusing. So it, it's good to have an opportunity to kind of educate a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, that overlap and all those different responsibilities are really important. And, you know, we always have to remember that here in Riverside, we're, we're living in a desert, you know, it's 100 degrees mm-hmm. all summer long. And I'm not sure if everyone notices, but you have all the water supply that you need. We're not on allocations, we're not rationing mm-hmm. water, even during, you know, the six year drought that happened a few years ago, no one had their water rationed. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty amazing. We live in a super dry region. And in one of the worst droughts, most significant droughts that we've had in California, Everyone in our service area had all the water they needed. Mm. So, you know, the role that we play is, is really important. So where does Western fit into the role? Uh, we're a little bit unique in that we're both a wholesale agency and a retail agency. So our service area is over 500 square miles. We have a million people living in our service area. We also have a lot of other entities like cities and other water districts that serve customers directly, if they need to import water and bring it from Northern California or the Colorado River, they place those orders through us. Hmm. And so we're the importer of water to the region and we get that water from Metropolitan Water District, another (laughs) layer of water agency. They're the ones that built the Colorado River aqueduct. They're the ones that bring water from Northern California. The other hat that we wear at Western is that we're also a retail agency. It means we actually have the customers, you know, the customers call us if they have a service problem, they pay their bills to Western. We go out and, you know, service all the pipes in the streets to those customers. So we have about 100,000 customers that we actually provide that retail service to. And then we're also the sewer provider. Mm. So uh, a lot of different irons in the fire. Mm. And then one thing that kind of goes under the radar screen for Uh, customers is we also serve as a water master. So we provide that service for local resources like the flow on the Santa Ana River and groundwater levels in the San Bernardino Basin and in the Chino Basin and in the Santa Margarita watershed. Mm -hmm. So all that falls under the the, uh, responsibilities of Western Municipal Water District. Well, that is definitely not a short list. Um, You guys have a lot of different hats on. Um, So it sounds like there could be a lot of different areas that a lot the general public perhaps don't know about water. But what do you think are maybe one or one to three different or top things that are misunderstood about the water industry? Well, um, I think the the top thing that's misunderstood about the water industry is where does my water come from? Hmm. That's we, we hear that from our customers all the time, and it's a good question. Mm-hmm. And it is a good question because everyone in Southern California has a different answer. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes to this kind of patchwork of all these different water agencies, and that's caused by the water resources. So if you're a customer of Riverside Public Utilities, their... their um, area is set over the Santa Ana River and they have groundwater. Mm-hmm. So they have all, all sorts of groundwater and they pump it and serve it to their customers. 
if you're in Western's retail service area, you're up on a hill and there's no groundwater. And so you don't have access to that groundwater underneath your feet. You don't have rights to that groundwater. And so our water comes, uh, the majority of our water comes from Northern California, which is really counterintuitive. There's all this groundwater in Riverside, but there's not groundwater under your retail service area. (laughs) We just can't go put our straw in someone else's area and draw out that groundwater. So that's really confusing for residents because they have to figure out where they live, who their water provider is, and mm-hmm. where their water is coming from. And that's probably the biggest question we get mm-hmm. is, you know, why don't we have local groundwater from Riverside? Why are we getting it from Northern California? And then the follow-up question they always ask is, why is ours more expensive? <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, there's no magic in water it costs a lot to move water. Water is very heavy. Mm -hmm. And so to move it through the state, up over the hills and treat it, put it in pipelines, maintain the pipelines, it's expensive. A lot more expensive than if you're just pumping it out from the ground right underneath your feet. Mm -hmm. So our service area, we get a lot of our water from Northern California. It actually comes from Lake Oroville all the way through the Central Valley, through the Bay Delta, over the mountains, and then we treat it and serve it to our customers. So mm-hmm. it's that, where's my water come from and why does it cost so much? Well, even here, it, I go out and speak with the public quite a bit and you'll hear water's free. You know, why are you charging us so much for water? It's free. Well, it's not free. If, you, if you're if you in Lake Oroville and a drop of water falls in the mountains and runs, runs off into uh, the lake, yeah, it was free to the lake. But then there's all sorts of rights that mm. people have throughout the state to that water, and you have to acquire those rights. Mm. And sometimes you acquired them by buying property, sometimes you acquired them by joining an agency like Metropolitan, but there's a cost associated with those rights. Mm. But the big cost is in moving the water and maintaining the pipelines. Mm. So the, the actual cost of the drops of water may not be that high, mm-hmm. but moving them is expensive and that's what customers are paying for. Hmm. That's a really great distinction. It's, it's the cost is surrounding rights and then moving the water. I know it sounds like such an elementary concept probably, especially to an engineer, but the fact that water is heavy is like, oh, well, of course it, of course it costs a lot of money then to move if it's heavy. So switching gears just a bit, but how do the efforts undertaken by Western um, really benefit the region? And maybe could you name some resources that are provided? Um, Sure. So, you know, if we look at our top priorities for Western, our number one priority is water supply reliability. And what what does that mean to the customer? And, I, you know, it's almost like we've done a disservice as managers in in the water industry because we're so good at water supply reliability it goes unnoticed if if we had to call our customers once a month and say hey no water for three days because a pump broke or um you know there's an electrical shortage or um you know the the gas grid is is uh out of mark you know gas is out of market and Hmm. you know we we can't fire up some generators then water supply reliability would be a huge issue. So to us, that's priority number one. We never want our customers to have to worry about their water supply. Every time you turn on that faucet, 24-7, 365 days a year, water 
that's really outstanding quality. It's been tested 30,000 times <laughs> per year mm -hmm. by certified operators and a laboratory. Every time you turn that faucet on, your water comes on. And that's even true in a drought. Mm -hmm. Now, if a pipe happens to burst in your neighborhood, you know, there may be a little outage while, while we fix that pipe, mm -hmm. but you're not running out of water because we ran out of supply. Mm -hmm. And that's hugely important to us. And it's hugely difficult in a state like California, where water is primarily falling in the northern part of the state, and we're moving it down here. And if you think about just, uh, you know, if you really put your business hat on, and you think about how difficult it is to get that supply from Northern California, through all the environmental challenges, mm -hmm. the engineering challenges, agriculture, all the arguing about who should get which drop of water, all the different cities that want it along the way. It's really a pretty miraculous achievement mm -hmm. that here in Riverside, we don't run out of water mm -hmm. and we can serve it for a very, very reasonable price for the amount of investment that goes through that. Mm -hmm. The reliability is so important to just echo what you're saying. Um, yeah, and I think, sorry, no, I, no. I think there's, there's a couple other things that, you know, when we look at our top priorities, um, customer service is another top priority because uh, we have a bad reputation in the public sector of not treating people like true customers. Mm. And, and we, we push back on that because we feel like we really have a private sector mentality. Mm. We're extremely efficient in the work that we do. And we have to communicate that to our customers. Maybe the communication side is where we don't uh, maybe act like a private sector company as much as some, but we are really making a huge push uh, on, on the education side and the customer support side so that customers know when they pay that water bill, they may think it's a little bit high and we hear that from them, but we need to make sure that we explain what the value is for what they're investing in. And it's just not, you're not just buying drops of water. You're investing in your water security for you and your family in the region. And that investment includes paying for your portion of pipes, paying for your portion of the operators that operate those pipes, paying for the engineers that design them, paying for the water quality scientists that are making sure that it's safe and paying for us to go out and find water supply so that you have all the water you need. If there's a giant earthquake in the Central Valley, and that pipeline is broken from Lake Oroville, we wanna make sure that you still have water. Mm -hmm. It wasn't your fault there was an earthquake. We can do things to keep water coming from other parts of the region that will still provide water if something happens to our Northern California supply. So that's kind of the third leg of our stool mm -hmm. and that is developing local water supplies. So we actually have agreements with other agencies. We don't sit over groundwater. But we, we went an extra step. We said, well, let's enter into agreements with those that do. And so we have agreements with RPU. We have agreements with Elsinore Valley. Uh, and we've actually purchased water rights in the San Bernardino Basin. So if anything ever does happen to the Northern California or the Colorado River supplies, we do produce about 40% of our water on average from mm -hmm. local water supplies. Mm -hmm. So we feel like we have this great mix of supplies that are covering us 
in case of some unforeseen disaster. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And this is kind of in tandem with what you're just talking about. And maybe perhaps on a more practical note for constituents in the region, um, we often hear that we are in a drought or not in a drought, especially in Southern California. Um, So should water use habits in Southern California change based on whether or not we are in a drought? Um, And perhaps what are some of the challenges that water leaders like yourself face um, in just educating the public about water use habits? (laughs) Well, that's that's a really good question and uh it's it's a it's not a straightforward answer because the challenge is the news media loves a drought Mm. it sells right it's a headline (laughs) drought look the 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 national drought monitor came out with this map and california is turning more red or darker red and Mm. oh no here we go it's another (laughs) drought what do we do um you know, the reality from the drought side is that in California, you're almost always in a drought. It's only wet three out of 10 years. So if the news media says, well, this year is drier than, you know, uh, drier than 80% of the years on record, that doesn't mean we're in a drought. That means it was dry. We're used to that. That's why we have engineers. That's why we've developed this phenomenal system to move water around the state. So a drought isn't always a drought for us as water suppliers. Mm -hmm. Now, every time we have a dry year, we pay attention to that. Um, And if we have a number of dry years that string together, then we pay attention to that even closer. Mm -hmm. If we get six or seven years, then we start taking measures. But, you know, I spoke a little bit about investing in your water system as a rate payer. And what you're investing in with Western and with Southern California is also drought supplies. So we call it dry year yield. So we're banking water all the time for those dry years. So the last time, how did we get through the drought? We used our reservoirs. So we had about 800,000 acre feet sitting in a reservoir in Diamond Valley, right here in our, in our region out by Hemet. And we were able to draw down on that during the drought. Mm. Right now, Metropolitan Water District has more water in drought storage than they've ever had. Mm. So to give you a number, we have 3.2 million acre feet. And that doesn't mean a lot to people, but that's the most water we've ever had Mm. in preparation for a dry period. Mm. So we're really in great shape. Now, the other side of your question is, well, what should customers do when they hear the news that there's a drought? Should they go out and turn off their sprinklers? Well, we think that we should always be conserving water. Now, if a drought goes on and on for an extended period of time, and we know that droughts can last for 50 years, mm-hmm. we see the, the, the historic records of that in tree rings and other things. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that in our lifetimes, but it could happen. And so we think we have measures in place that people can really start really incrementally backing off from the the amount of water that they use. And you would first start turning down your irrigation systems. And then, you know, if things got really bad, you would turn down your indoor water use. But I don't think you can really totally separate water conservation from our normal water habits. And we don't really call it water conservation. We like to call it water efficient. You should always be water efficient. Why? Well, I talked about these different water supplies and there's different prices for those water supplies. 
So we always use the, le the least expensive water supply first. Mm -hmm. So if all of our residents are very water efficient and they're lowering their water consumption by irrigating only when it's necessary, then we only have to go out and purchase the lowest cost water. If everyone's using more and more water and they're flood irrigating their yards, and then we get pushed into buying more and more expensive water. Mm -hmm. So even in times of water uh, rich, mm -hmm. a, a water rich time, if people are over irrigating and wasting water, mm -hmm. we're going out and we're buying more expensive water and that cost is passed on to the customers. Mm -hmm. So just by being water efficient, you're helping the entire region uh, save money. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. And so we put in what we call water efficient rates to financially incentivize people to be cost effective. What has that done? In 10 years since we started that, our customers are using half as much of water as they did in 2010. Wow. So that's really significant. Mm -hmm. I don't think people know they've actually done that, but they have. And that saved us an enormous amount of water mm -hmm. and an enormous amount of money by not having to import more water into the region. So I think we've designed this system so that our, all of our customers don't have to have kind of these crazy responses to every time they hear a news story that <laughs> there may be a drought. Just be water water efficient. Hmm. Be water efficient. Log on to our website. Pay attention to what we're asking our customers to do. Hmm. But we're in really good shape in Southern California right now. But mm -hmm. it's, it's a dry period and we're always susceptible to drought. Mm -hmm. So we're watching it and we will reach out and communicate with our customers as things get serious if they do get serious. Mm -hmm. That was really insightful, especially just providing the context of how the cost of water really does trickle down to the consumer, how water water efficiencies, is that, is that the term that you use? Well, efficient water use. Efficient we, water use. We don't, yeah, it, it, it's kind of been this transition in the water world. Uh, we don't want to talk about conserving because we think that customers think about that only during mm -hmm. restrictions mm -hmm. and a drought. We want to save that that uh, terminology for when we really need it, hmm. when we're really short of water. Other than that, we can we can really just be efficient hmm. and um, get our customers to respond. The other thing that the the public will ask is, well, why do I have to be efficient? If I want to pay uh, more for water, then I should be able to do it. Well, you can. You can actually pay more. Use all the water you want. But remember, that that changes our projections of long-term demands. If mm -hmm. everyone starts overwatering and you know wastefully using water, we'll look at that. And we look at 20-year projections for demands. And what does that do to us as water planners? We look at that projection and we say, we need more water for the year 2025 mm -hmm. or 2035 or 2045. I got to go out and acquire expensive water rights to meet those demands. So by overusing water now, you might be pushing us into starting to structure deals mm -hmm. for future water. They're going to cost all of us a lot more, a lot more money than it needs to. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's kind of this very complicated process of being efficient leads to immediate savings, but it also leads to long-term water cost savings. Mm -hmm. Generational savings for sure. That's right. Um, so we've been talking quite a bit about water supply, so I want to switch gears just a bit and talk about water quality. 
I'm going to start us off, start us off, excuse me, on a slightly embarrassing story. So when I first moved to Riverside, um, I came for university and some people, meaning college students, so take it with a grain of salt, but they were saying that water directly from the tap wasn't the best to drink. So perhaps point blank, um, is tap water safe to drink? Tap water is safe to drink, for sure. (laughs) It is very safe to drink. And we're assuring you that it's safe to drink. And I think I mentioned earlier that we run about 30,000 water quality tests on water. And we follow, actually, we exceed all state and federal regulations. We, as a staff, follow federal regulations. We follow what they call emerging constituents. So, you know, we've got super smart scientists in our world. And you smart college students at UCR and wherever else you are, invent <laughs> laboratory equipment that can sniff out anything. Well, we have to react to that, mm-hmm. right? If, if now laboratory equipment can find some constituent that we could never find before, we have to then figure out, does it have a harmful effect on our bodies? Mm-hmm. And if it has a harmful effect on our bodies, we have to set up regulations and we have to figure out, well, at what level is it harmful? And then we have to say, okay, well, do our current treatment processes take that out of uh, the water? And if not, what treatment processes do we need to implement Mm -hmm. to do that? And so this this is just a merry-go-round that we are constantly Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And there's always emerging constituents that come out. And then we figure out, is it harmful? If it is harmful, how do we treat? How do we remove it from the water system so that we can serve serve safe water to our customers. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a war. <laughs> it's always, <laughs> always going on. And the big balancing act is, you know, we can treat for it. Our customers have to be able to afford it. And so we have to implement treatment that's affordable and is safe for the customers. We never want to risk the health of customers. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing I would say, I get this all the time. Should I drink bottled water? because tap water is not safe. And <laughs> I always find that very humorous because a lot of the water that's bottled is taken from the tap. <laughs> so those companies, they make a connection to Western and they put water into into their building and they bottle it and then they serve it to customers. <laughs> and they've got great marketing because they've convinced the, some of the public that I got to drink bottled water because it's safe. And it's actually the same darn water that's in your pipes anyway. Awesome. Well, thank you for clarifying that college myth that was in my mind. Um, Kind of closing us out for the podcast today, I wanted to ask, um, what does resiliency mean to Western um, as it relates to COVID and perhaps other challenges the water district faces? Well, like I said, water reliability is is number one, and you know that's I, we talk about that in the same vein as resiliency. Mm-hmm. You know what what is resiliency? It's kind of that that tenaciousness, you know, that ability to survive no matter what's going on. So, coronavirus has been a struggle for our nation, our world. Mm-hmm. Um, the the good thing about um, the the water quality side of coronavirus is all of our standard treatment techniques uh, knock down any sort of viruses. So from a water quality standpoint, it's not an issue at all. Mm -hmm. Um, The economics and the the impact to the public is an issue for us. Um, We do have a lot of people that have lost their jobs and can't afford to pay their water bills. And as a water agency, we quickly um, 
took measures to protect uh, financially to protect our, our customers and our board took an action to um, not shut off anyone's water during the pandemic, um, regardless of whether they're paying or not, which our finance people always get worried that, you know, people, you know, don't have to pay their bill. But our board said, you know, we, we can't do that to the public, especially now, you know, so many people are staying home and kids are staying home. They got to have water. So we're providing that water. And we've took financial measures to help protect ourselves because we know this is going to last for a year. Maybe we didn't think at the time it was going to last for two years. We're caught off guard like I think the whole population is <laughs> about how how resilient coronavirus is. <laughs> but um, I think that we've got a lot of measures in place financially to make sure that we're stable as a water agency. Mm. And we are spending a huge amount of time uh, lobbying back in D.C. and in Sacramento to try and find funding sources for our customers to help them bail out of the financial hold that they may have for uh, their utilities, water and sewer treatment specifically. Um, you know, I guess it, it was fortunate at the time, but, you know, Prop 218 was passed a, a decade ago, which severely limits water agencies' ability to forgive bills and things like that. So we're thinking outside the box and we're trying to come up with other ways that we can try and help these customers in need. We can't just forgive their bills. Prop 218 uh, makes that illegal for us to do. But it, it, it doesn't mean we can't go out and try and find water or money from other entities, such as the federal government, the state government. So uh, we're starting to see a little light at the end of the tunnel. Water's starting to, water, sorry, money is starting to trickle in for rental assistance and under the current administration we think that there's going to be more more money trickling our way uh, especially for maybe those uh, low-income families that, that really need assistance so uh, from a water supply resiliency hasn't changed at all um, we we you know we're still pushing really hard we're we're mixing our supplies local and imported. So we think we're in a great position from water resiliency. Um, now it's just a matter of getting our customers uh, able to afford it and for us to collect that those past due payments and just keep moving on when this pandemic finally lifts. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of the podcast today. And then also just generally for continuing to lead the effort for water reliability in our region. We really do appreciate your work. Um, do you have any final remarks before we sign off for today? No, I, 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 I love being here. Thank you very much for inviting me and asking questions. You know, we work really hard to educate our customers and water is not always the um, the most exciting thing on their mind to think about. So um, it, this is a great opportunity for us to talk a little bit more about where their water comes from, mm. what we're doing to ensure their water and how they can trust their water supply. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and uh, talk with, with your viewership. And uh, we're always here to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Rachel. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit our website at www.wrcog.us. For more information about Riverside County's efforts on COVID-19, please visit rivcoph.org coronavirus.